Good to see you all here today. Trust you're having a great day. Is anybody having a great day? Yeah. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles today and let's turn to the book of Matthew. As we uh, began last week, if you will, Jesus' inaugural, inaugural speech. And uh, there was a lot of people gathered. It said in uh, verse 1 of chapter 5 that there were multitudes, and he went up to the mountain and sat down. And uh, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read uh, again as we did last week. Uh, last week we read Matthew 4, but we're going to start now with this, uh, what we've known as the Beatitudes. Um, I would say that we could even paraphrase and say, how to be happy according to Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 12. Seeing the multitudes, verse 1, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely, for my sake. Rejoice, and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just bow in prayer, prayer to our study today. Father God, we're thankful for what you are doing in a world that seems chaotic and really messed up. But Father, you are fully and completely in control. And as Jesus sat on this mountainside so many years ago, and people were gathered below him because of his compassion, because it says in chapter 4, he healed them, he cared for them. There was a sense of just a, a desire to follow this man of God, this son of God. To think of this Jesus Christ walking the earth, the very God himself, is amazing. But to think that he opened up with these words as blessed, 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 which would mean to be happy is. And Father, as we unfold and unpack this this afternoon, we would ask that you would use the Holy Spirit exclusively to teach the word of God. We thank you for those that have come out today, and especially, Father, we'd ask that you bless them and their families, and wherever they may be going and what their life is up to, Father, that you would surround them with your grace, your mercy, and your love. Thank you for the word, and again, we just ask that you would let us see what you want us to see, and then do what you want us to do. Father, we thank you for these moments, again, leaning and expecting the Holy Spirit to lead, direct, and guide us in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5 is a passage of Scripture that seems strange and out of place, not only for those people of which Jesus would have been walking and talking amongst, because it was crazy. The Jewish religious leaders and scribes, those that were in, shall we say, control, those that were pushing their agenda, these things that he mentioned that we just read, would not only seem odd, they were crazy. What he's suggesting is to be happy, to be blessed. There's nine things there that wouldn't be on anyone's list of chasing or pursuing happiness, as the world would perceive it or go after it. You, you must be kidding me. The one we looked at last week was, blessed are those that are humble. How many of you have sought out, got up in the morning and said, in, may God lead me to be happy in humbleness? There's no hands that have went up. It's odd, isn't it? It's just completely odd. Humility. 
And any time that you think you've captured it, that means you've just lost it. Thank goodness I'm humble. There's something wrong about saying it that way, isn't there? And there is. Humbleness is elusive. But it's an attitude that was in Jesus Christ. I think I asked you last week uh, in your personal time to read in Philippians chapter 2, which literally describes for us what I would think the epitome of humility. And Jesus starts off that way. It would be totally the antithesis of all of these religious leaders that Jesus was rubbing shoulders with, those Pharisees and scribes. They love the preeminent place. They love to be in front of everyone. They love to be arrogant and to be proud in everything they did. And Jesus starts off the very first one to be humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It must have just rocked the entire congregation, I shouldn't say congregation, the whole multitude that was there. And I'm wondering the disciples, as they would have been gathered at the front, they would have been right there with Jesus' feet. And as Jesus unloads this inaugural, this beginning speech of this gathering, you can see the energy, can't you? You have these disciples that have been following, have been chosen, and Jesus is, is going to let her rip. There's going to be this speech, and it starts off, Blessed are the humble? <laughs> you must be kidding me. What's going on here? And it got worse. Because today's lesson, or today's message, which is the second one of the happy is, is says this in verse 4. Blessed are happier they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, if there was ever a paradox, that would probably be it. <laughs> in fact, earlier this morning I said, God, I don't think I'm the right guy to give this message. That's too much. It's too, what do you mean? Happier are those that are mourning. For they will be comforted. Does anyone else feel more qualified right now? I'll sit down right here and listen. Because it just seems over the top. And Jesus said it. It was his second sentence out of his mouth to this massive multitude. The disciples at this point, what's wrong with him? This is totally foreign to anything that they would have been brought up with. And yet Jesus, with a great deal of gusto, unpacks it, unloads it. Uh, if you will, for just a moment, if you think about, it was a lot about attitudes. This, this whole uh, unfolding that Jesus gave to this multitude, it's, it's about attitudes. And last week, or it wasn't last week, but when we talked last week in his opening line, blessed are the humble, that would be our attitude toward ourself. That's our attitude toward ourself. Isn't that true? Uh, get the right attitude about yourself and everything falls into place. When you get the right attitude about yourself as God would have, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. It's a great place to start. Don't lift yourself up first. Uh, that usually ends up in a crash. In fact, it said, pride cometh before the fall. We could heed that as a nation, couldn't we? From the halls of Congress today. Well, the second one is an attitude towards sin. What's your attitude toward sin? I think we could say that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, the unfolding of this, this unpacking that Jesus did, blessed are they that mourn. And what are people seeking today? What would you say in the sense of happiness? And we, we'll talk about this uh, as we go through the study because I think this is important. It's, it's, this is so contrasting. Happy is the humble-minded. Happy are those that mourn. That doesn't even fit. What, did you mix up sentences? Well, the way we live, the way our society is teaching and preaching to us, yeah, it's very different. So what are people seeking today? What, what, are, what, what is, we talked about it last week, the American dream. Describe for me the American dream. Stay at home right now. <laughs> well, apparently, yeah, apparently. That's what we're being, we're told that we'll be happy at home. I, 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 ooh, I could go right down that branch, but I'm not going to go there. What else? What would you say about wealth. wealth? Wealth. There's a lot about wealth, isn't there? <clears throat> Power and control and money. And all of the things that, all of those things should make us happy. Correct? What are the advertisements on television or on the radio or whatever you might, any, even on the internet? Have you noticed you can't even look up anything on the internet with being just bombarded with advertisements? You can't even listen to a YouTube or whatever you're wanting to get it. There's an advertisement. What are they trying to do? They're trying to make you chase 
did you see? I almost fell into my own trap to chase happiness, right? The new car commercials, aren't they good? You open the door and you can almost smell the new. You can actually get sense now there's new car aroma. I'm here to tell you, it does not make an old car new. But if you feel better about your old car, get one of those. <laughs> or three. <laughs> All of those things are vanity. We looked at that last week in Ecclesiastes. Solomon said it very clearly. Here's the richest man that ever lived. Not even close. There's not even a sec. Bill Gates looked like a peon compared to Solomon. I mean, Solomon was a zillionaire. <laughs> when a zillion was worth a zillion, right? I mean, you, you think of the thousands of tons of gold that he annually got. We could go there. I'm not going to. I'm going to hopefully you trust me. If not, just go on into the, the Kings and the Chronicles, and you see how that man was blessed financially and with anything he wanted. Pleasures. Anything. It was at his disposal. And he said in Ecclesiastes, everything under the sun, S-U-N, is vanity. I'm going to use that as an opportunity to say, I will never have as many opportunities or as many potential pursuits on a happiness trail that Solomon would have had. I'm going to take his word for it. It is all vanity. But there's a world that's chasing in the same direction. They're chasing after the very same things. And here Jesus comes on the scene and he says, if you want to be happy, be humble and mourn. <laughs> now that's, like I said, a paradox is the best way I can say it. They're on opposite ends of the spectrum. But the question is, mourning about what? Sin. Let's go back. I want you to think. Now, where, where, where was our previous study? We, we were really... Did you notice how we just got captured? Or maybe I captured you in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we went there, and we went there, and we went there. And pretty soon your Bible just went fwing, and it's Romans chapter 8. In fact, you had a fight to get Matthew today and last week, didn't you? Romans chapter 8. But remember, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 was, And all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And we spent quite a bit of time on what does it mean to love God? You love the things that God loves, and you hate the things that God hates. And sin is one of those things that God hates. It's one of those things that literally cost Jesus Christ everything, his life, blood. In fact, even Jesus was called the man of Sorrows. You even some of you filled it in. Let's go to Isaiah. We're way out. It's not my deep in my notes, but I think it's a good time to see this. Isaiah chapter fifty-three. Isaiah chapter fifty-three. Let's take a look. Isaiah fifty-three. It speaks about from an Old Testament perspective about this coming Messiah. We'll start Isaiah chapter fifty-three, verse one. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Watch now. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid it, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And it goes on. That, that Isaiah chapter 53 is such a beautiful picture of a coming Messiah that would be unfolded for the people. And you know what? On this day, they missed it. They thought, who is this guy? Back in Matthew, as he unfolds that, it's... That's crazy. Now, all of this pursuit of happiness, literally in America or across the world, and by the way, America doesn't have, we don't have a corner on the sense of pursuing happiness. No, it's a world thing. It's a societal thing all across the world, quite honestly. And anything that would detract from that, it seems so odd. But all of that is done to what? Avoid mourning. Not 
M-O-R-N-I-G, but mourning, the sad kind of mourning. I should maybe be a little bit careful how I say that, right? Mourning in the sense, not mourning is the beginning of the day, but mourning in the sense of weeping or sadness. All of that, literally, the pursuit of happiness is to... And Jesus is saying, if you want to be happy, mourn. Good grief. Well, let's talk about tears or weeping. What, is, uh, what can be behind that? What, what can be the cause of weeping or of tears? What would be some examples? Because they're not all the same. There's not just like one, one little narrow thing. Oh, that brought, that brought tears to my eyes. Are we, pain is one. Yeah, absolutely. There's tears of pain. Loss. Loss. Tears of loss. A sense of grief. Right? What else? Laughter. Laughter. It takes a little bit to get, but yeah. Have you ever laughed so hard that you had tears? Yeah, it happens a lot, doesn't it? And you know what? You guys are laughing right now, aren't you? Stop. Don't go to tears and laughter at this place, right? No, it's okay. Just let it rip. Let it rip. And there's something, you know, there's something about laughter. There's a release, isn't there? Have you noticed tears are a sense of relief? If you try to stuff those down there and stuff those down there, and you know what? Emotions go with them, and pretty soon... Something's got to blow somewhere. God put that within us as a sense of release. Emotional release. You know, weeping and mourning is a sense of release that God has placed within the very making of our being. But what are we mourning about? That's really what this is about. What makes us weep? Let's keep going. There's, there's weeping or tears of devotion, right? Let's, let's look at an example. Now, this, is, this, I think, is really cool. Let's go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, and I didn't write down the verse, so we'll kind of dig our way through it. Luke chapter 7, and uh, let's see let's see if I can find it real quickly. Maybe. Yeah, we'll go to verse 36. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. One of the Pharisees, are you all there? Luke seven thirty-six. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. In other words, Jesus, this Pharisee, desired him to eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet or to eat. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew, in other words, uh, by the way, that, that doesn't mean that she's the only one in Luke that's a sinner, okay? In, this, in, in other words, she was a prominent, well-known sinner, okay? Do you see the difference? Especially from the, by the way, the Pharisee was not, oh, it was a double negative, he was not not a sinner, okay? Did you get that? He was just as, I mean, in God, sinners are sinners. But the point of the matter is, this was someone that was a well-known sinner. Okay, here comes this lady, this woman, in verse 37. When she, she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. She slips right into this house. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. That in itself, that's over the top a little bit, isn't it? For this woman, uninvited, to enter a house looking for Jesus. See how we miss that sometimes? I mean, you just all of a sudden there's this woman in the house, and she's and she's got this this uh, perfume, this alabaster, and she's wait a minute, where's she at? She's in a Pharisee. Do you know what the chances of her knocking on the Pharisee's door and saying this? I'd like to come in and fellowship with you. Zero chance. But Jesus is going to be there. She found out about. It. Let's keep going now. Where did I leave you? Verse 38, and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him or invited him, saw it, he spoke unto himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. Do you see some stuff going on right now? Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto you. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? I love that. Isn't Jesus good about that? So now we've got two people and actually two sinners, if you will. I'm gonna, I hope I get off of this. Pull me off of this story if we get lost here, okay? Just, just pull me in. Give me about five minutes. So we have two people that owe this guy money. One of them owes him 100 
bucks, I'm going to just say $100, and the other one is 50. And he forgives them both. Now, in this house, isn't it interesting? There's two people that we know of. We have the Pharisee, and we have the woman who is known as a sinner, right? And he asks the question of this Pharisee. Which one? Well, let's, let's, let's let it go on. Let's go back to our text. Tell me which one of them will love him the most. Hmm. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. Bravo, right? And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet, and she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss or a greeting, but this woman since the time I came in has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And that really messed him up. That's not there, but you'll see it. Do you see? Those were tears of what? Devotion. Devotion. She was literally worshiping Jesus in the Pharisee's house. And if that doesn't take guts, I don't know what does. I like her. I like her a lot. Those are tears of devotion. Would we have done something like that? Well, I'm not that big a sinner. <laughs> do, you, do you see where it goes right away? Back to reality. You know what? Each and every, every one of us would, would and should feel privileged to have done what that dear woman did to that Savior that day. Tears of devotion. Do you starting to see where mourning is starting to fit in now? There's tears of devotion, but there's also... Tears of concern. We'll not go there, but Paul was concerned about the Ephesians. And he was actually literally weeping out of concern for these people that he was writing a letter to. You as those of you that are parents, there have been times that you have had tears of concern for your kids. Right? For various reasons. I know I have. There's been sometimes in the middle of the night I'm like wondering, oh, God, give me, give me something, right? I don't know what to do. Now, I'm the only one in this room, right? <laughs> There's tears of concern. There's also tears of anguish. Kind of comes along some of the lines that you guys have even talked about, the sense of pain or loss, anguish. One of the greatest examples is from Jesus Christ himself. On the night that he was betrayed, just moments before, Jesus, it wasn't an unknown to him what was going to happen. He knew from the beginning that his purpose was to literally go to the cross, to be slain for us, I'm talking all of us sinners, so that we could go free. He was going to pay that price. To sign up for crucifixion, of which not one in this room could even possibly understand a sliver no pun intended, of the immense and excruciating and exhilarating pain that comes along with that. And just hours before that betrayal would take place, and he knew he was then on the road to nine illegal trials, to finally being hung there, he was in anguish. He was wrestling, if you will, with the very will of the Father. Father, if there be any other way, <laughs> let this cup pass from me. But may your will be done and not mine. Now, in a very small way, with our sin that is in our lives, you know what? We should have some of that same anguish, some of that same mourning. God, help me. I want to do your will and not my will. Isn't it amazing how selfish we are? I mean, we don't even have to imagine that, do we? It's, I mean, I'm not saying anything that's new and... That was new, Larry. I didn't realize we were selfish. Right? It's so ingrained. It's so easy for us to see in someone else. Boy, did it get quiet just for a moment there. 
Isn't it amazing how we can see this in everybody else? Remember how David, he had sinned with Bathsheba, adultery, and then murder, and then it was just, it, do, 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 trip, 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 trip. And for a year and a half, 18 months, you know, if you, if you read carefully in the Psalms, he didn't write any more songs. It was 18 months of silence, if you will. And it said his bones after he was, I, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that was, it was a horrible time in David's life. You can see it in Psalm 51, and you can see it in another psalm that he wrote, which maybe it's 27. Anyway, two of those psalms that he literally poured out his heart, weeping before God. You know what he did see very clearly? It was Nathan the prophet. Here's your job, Nathan. How would you like this job? I'm asking you. God comes to Nathan and says, Nathan, I've got a job for you. Oh, good, Lord, I'm your prophet. I'll do anything you want me to do. I'd like you to go to the king, King David. And I'd like you to confront him in his sin. Boy, I'll bet we could get somebody else for that, couldn't we? I'm really busy. Nathan, that's not in the Bible, but can you imagine? What if God came to you and asked you to do something like that? Ah, uh, I'll get back to you on that. So what, how would you handle this situation? King David's not in a very sporty mood now either, have you noticed? Because you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you're covering or denying sin, guess what happens? You become arrogant, you become hard-hearted, and you don't listen very well. Hmm. <laughs> There's not much of that going on right now. <laughs> what would happen in Washington, D.C. if we just tell it the way it is? Just tell the truth every day, every minute. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, right? Okay, let's go back to David. It would be wonderful. <laughs> but you know what? Excuse me? <laughs> it would be weird, right? It would be weird. Because you know what? Uh, I don't know who originally said it, but power corrupts, and absolute power absolutely corrupts. And the more power we have, King David is a perfect example. There was no one that could call him to accountability because he was king. And when humans who are, have a sin nature are given more power the less likely they are to mourn over their sin because they're powerful. They're in control. Right? And Nathan went to David. I'm sure he had thought and prayed about this for a while. How am I going to tell David that he's a sinner? <laughs> but he sets it up perfectly because those that are denying or covering sin have some common things. They can see sin beautifully in someone else. It's true, isn't it? That's why they have stuff like gossip. You can see oh so clearly in someone else's life. And Nathan comes to David and he says, David, he tells this little story, and you already know where it's going, so I'll try to be very brief. But he essentially said there's this poor man and he had one ewe lamb and someone took it from him. And David, he didn't even wait for the end. He blew up and said, that man is going to pay. And I can't imagine how quickly humility came when Nathan said, you are that man. And he didn't have to say anything else. Now, that's what made David, the, the expression that we have, that David was a man after God's own heart. Do you know what happened? He mourned for his sin right then and there. Didn't come without consequence. You know his family. It was really messed up, wasn't it? But he mourned over his sin. And then, again, I was going to save this for last. No, I'm going to save it for last. So what were we talking about? Tears of anguish. Tears of sorrow, which would be one we've just, we actually moved into one without me announcing where we were going, and that's the tears of David. Tears of disappointment. Tears of regret. Think of the difference between the tears of, now I'm a little bit ahead, but we'll set ourselves up for the next juncture, the next little table mark. Tell me about the two responses, two very different responses, literally within the same time frame, 
of two disciples that were Jesus' disciples. One of them was named Peter. You remember Peter? And he's... <laughs> you don't have to wonder if Peter's on your side. He's right there. He's a rock. That's what his name actually means, this little rock. And Jesus said... I prayed for you because Satan wanted to sift you as wheat. He wanted to steal you away. But Jesus, in the point and the era of where he's about ready to be offered up, is praying for and caring for and compassionate for one of his followers. And what do you think Peter said? I'm going to you, go with you to the death. I'm with you, buddy. There ain't not, nothing could happen in the love that I have for you. Literally a few hours later. Not only had denied himself, denied Jesus once, not only twice, but three times. And it said that he went out and wept bitterly. One of the gospels says that Jesus looked at him after the third time. I don't know what that felt like, but he would have mourned. I mean, to a gigantic level. And then there's the other disciple, the one that hours before had literally betrayed his master. The one that he'd followed for three years. The one that loved money. Remember him? He was sorrowing as well as he would have taken those 30 pieces of silver that he'd sold his Savior out for. And he threw them at the feet of those religious leaders. He was in despair. And he went out. And he hung himself. Those are two very, very different purposes two very different ways of mourning with two very different results. Jesus is saying in Matthew, in Matthew 5 that the mourning that leads to repentance, the mourning over your sin that leads you... And by, that, by the way, when you are in a humble attitude toward yourself and when you truly are mourning over sin, it will lead you to God because your heart becomes soft. Show me one with arrogance, and, and right away you've got the walls up. Who, me? It's like David. When you could defend or cover sin, it just becomes harder and harder and more calloused. And an attitude of humility opens it up. And then when you're mourning over your sin, God can really do some amazing things. Amazing things. Tears of regret. There's tears of compassion, and uh, if we don't stop here, we're, you, you didn't tell me when to stop, did you? We got through it, though. We're, we're okay. We're okay. <laughs> we're okay. Tears of compassion. We talked about the woman that had tears of devotion, right? Tears of compassion. What would you say about that? Could you give me an example of that? Tears of compassion. What are tears of compassion? By the way, that's one of the ways to literally become soft, is to have compassion for others. I'd like to lead you. A, a verse popped in my mind right now. It was a little deeper in my text, but let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. No, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm going to read. This is how Paul opens up the second letter to the Corinthians. Now, as you know, that the first letter, it was pretty harsh. In fact, we're going to be looking at another chapter in 2 Corinthians in a moment. It was one that, that Paul just laid it out there and he said, you know what? You've got to get this done. That's enough of what you're doing here and you're not literally being taking sin seriously. And now he opens up the second, the letter of the second, okay, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He opens the second letter with his words. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, semicolon, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You see, some of the trials, and I look out and, and I see your faces, and I know there are tremendous trials and tribulations that you have suffered. I don't know them all. It's a, it doesn't matter. But you know, very, we know the very essence of what happens in real life. There's troubles that come. 
And you know what? When we're mourning over our sin, that comfort that comes to us through God is something that we can pass on. When there's someone that, you know, it's amazing how God, there's an attraction. If you've suffered some of the same things, how God will put you together. Have you noticed that? I had something just exactly like that. And God has made that to literally to feed others by the comfort. That's what that verse is about. The very comfort that we've received is for us to share with someone else. And you know what happens to those other, these other people? They're encouraged and lifted up. They feel awesome because they know they're not alone. Satan loves to make you think that you are all alone. All alone. All alone. People that don't want to get involved in anyone else's life and they just want to leave me alone. I want to be my own person at my own time. And just, just, you know what happens to those? Their heart gets harder and harder and harder and harder to reach. In fact, I, let me see if I can dig this quote out. It seems really right right now. There's a man by the name of Mr. Reed which I've got it somewhere. Did you notice how many notes I have and we're just right here on the first page? This may be a two-weeker. Huh? James Reed, he said this, The saddest thing in the world is not a soul that sorrows, but a heart that is so selfish and dull that nothing touches it. Isn't that true? Let me say it one more time. The saddest thing in the world is not a soul that sorrows, but a heart so selfish and dull that nothing touches it. That's well said. That's well said. And do you know what mourning over your sin and the softness that it brings, especially as you reach out in compassion to others? It brings you closer to God. And you know what happens? Again, I said this last week, and we'll say it all the time. Happiness is yours as a byproduct. You didn't even look for it. And there's, if you, you know that, what that's like. There's a refreshment when you've helped someone else out of compassion. When you feel the hurt that they felt. Isn't it something? As you wrap your arms around them. Something that happens. You could be asked at that moment, even though you were, so, you were sorrowful, that you were mourning, you could say, you know what? I feel awesome. That's another word for happiness. I've got this new word. I think I've shared it with some of you. And there's not every day that I feel this way, but I'm trying to be optimistic. How are you? I've got a, a Circle S which sells seeds over there. In, uh, you know, in uh, Logan. Uh, you guys know. Farmers, you guys that aren't farmers, we put seeds in the ground, and I buy it in bulk over there at Circle S, and there's several gals in the, in the, the, the office, right? And so the one, who's Jill, asked me, how you doing? I said, I got this new word. Awesomistic. I said, I don't know how to spell it, but it's, I can know how to say it, right? And it was. It was, I just thought about it driving over there that day, which has been several weeks ago. And so you know what she does? I go out and get my seed, and on the way back in, she gives me the sticky note, and she spelled it out. Awesomistic. So it's right on my truck dash. <laughs> and you know what? When you mourn over your sin, you're awesomistic. Let's keep going. That is not in my notes. <laughs> uh, I want you to see how God thinks about your tears. This is a verse that you may want to jot down. Because God cares deeply about that. In Psalm chapter 56, in verse 8, it says this. <clears throat> Whoops. What did I just tell you? 56. Yeah, there it is. 56 verse 8. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Every tear that you've ever shed, God has taken note. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome to know that he is right there with you? And again, keep in mind now, the right kind of mourning leads you to him. Leads you to him, not away from him. Now, the sorrow of the world is very different. I think this would be a good time for us now to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we'll look at verse 10. It describes for us, we'll read this verse first, and it describes for us the sorrow of the world and the sorrow of God. There's a godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and look at verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented over, to, to be rejected, but the sorrow of the world 
worketh death. Two very distinct, very antithetical. Okay. Anyway, they're opposites. I can't say the word right now. Godly sorrow literally leads us to repentance and salvation. The, the worldly sorrow leads us to death. Let me look at, uh, hold your place here. I want to come back to this because there's something that's really cool there. Uh, let's go to, I've got to think about this a second. Just a second. Where is it? Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Watch this. We just talked about this a moment ago. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to read it, and you listen carefully and see if I read it right. Because often I've heard this. For money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says, is it? What's the difference? For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, if you're sorry or you're mourning over the loss of wealth... That's not going to take you anywhere positive because you're right in the center of the self-pity circle and there's only three of you in there. Me, myself, and I. And I usually is the spokesman. But you see, it's not going anywhere. Did you see that? That's worldly sorrow, if you will. Worldly sorrow. Now, let's go back to... Uh, oh, I want to, tell, I want to show you one other one in the sense of selfish mourning, if you will. Let's go to First Kings. I want to show you a king... That put on a pout. Boy, did he put on a pout. First Kings chapter 21. And you're wondering, who's this guy? Well, let's find out. First Kings chapter 21. We'll start in verse 1. First Kings chapter 21. We'll start in verse 1. It came to pass that after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spoke unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard that I may have it for a garden of herbs because it is near unto my house and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you the worth of it in money. Oh, that seems reasonable. He's the king. Verse 3. Naboth said, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Well, that seems reasonable. It's a, it's a family legacy. It's part of our family, and I don't want to sell it. Oh, well, thank you for hearing me. That's what, Nab that's what uh, Ahab said, right? He said, thank you. Have a great day. No. Verse 4. Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down upon his bed, turned away his face, and would eat no bread. The poor little guy. But Jezebel, his wife, she's the sweetheart of the deal, came to him and said unto him, Why is your spirit so sad that thou... Do you see, did you see it? Did you see the sorrow? What's he sorry about? Because he didn't get what he wanted. That's the first and only time I've ever recognized that in the world. That was a lie. It's everywhere, isn't it? When we're sorry, and the reason we're sorry is because we're not getting what we want, that will not end in happiness. In fact, we will not be comforted. Remember what Jesus said? Those that mourn will be comforted. He's not going to be comforted. I'm telling you, I, I read the rest of the story. Why not? Because he's got all the wrong reasons for mourning. And you read the rest of the chapter on your own. In fact, I'm going to let you do that because we need to keep moving. First Kings chapter 20 was an, 21 is an amazing, amazing story of some diabolical, horrible events surrounded literally by sorrowing in a worldly way. There was no comfort. In fact, as a result of that, both Jezebel and Ahab were sentenced to die. There are sorrows of the world. There are sorrows of godly. Now, I promise, let's go back to uh, what I'd like to do now is I'm going to read um, Romans chapter 7. Now, listen carefully now. This is, we've talked about a couple of things in the sense of mourning, that when we're reaching out in compassion, guess what happens? We really are comforted by being able to help others. And there, I see some heads nodding now. You know what? You know that works. But if I was going to say, now, I want you to go out and I want you to be happy. Where do your thoughts go? 
It's not morning, is it? It's not where it goes. But that's why you never pursue happiness to be happy. Never, it won't work. But when you pursue what God loves and you hate what he hates, you can't help not being happy. Isn't that cool? Just like he said it would be. That's in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For all things, that's bad things, good things, in between things, everything. If you love God, his work for his purposes, because he wants you to look more like Jesus Christ every day. Even you women, he wants you to look like Jesus Christ in character. Can you imagine how good that is when... See, that makes God happy. You say, well, does it make him happier? No, he can't make him any happier. God's perfect in every way. But you know what? He loves to see people that respond to his calling. He loves when people want to do his will. And the best way to do his will is to literally mourn over our sin because it brings us to him. And the closer we are to him, the softer our hearts get and the more malleable they are for him to work with. So true. Where did I say I was going to go with you? Oh, yeah, I remember now. You see how I get distracted? Paul, you've you got to keep me on this distraction thing. Okay, so let's go to uh, what I'm going to do now is we went to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. And we looked at there's a godly sorrow which leads to repentance, which leads us to salvation, which is a great place to end up, right? It really is. Because there's not only comfort today, we're talking about that, but there's also comfort in the future. That's what you need to remind me when we finish. That's where we want to end up, okay? Comfort in the future. I'm putting a lot on him, aren't I? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, but I want you to see there are benefits of sorrow in this church in Corinth. And I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation just to make it, I mean, I'm just going to read the passages from verse 8 to verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and here we go. This is Paul writing his second letter to the Corinthians. First one was a little harsh. You'll get that in his message. Verse 8, chapter 7, 2 Corinthians says this. I am not, I being Paul, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful for you for a little while. Now, I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, which would be against sin, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose then was not to write about who did the wrong or who was wrong. I wrote to you so that in the sight of God, you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. We have been greatly encouraged by this. Now that's mourning that brought some cool stuff. That church was literally healed. And you know what Paul had to do? He, well, you saw, I read it. He wrote a stern letter that caused some pain, caused some mourning, caused some weeping, caused some tears. And you know what it did? It caused all of those things to literally get stronger, better, and more appropriate for that group. You see the strength? Those that are in mourning are comforted. They are comforted. See, we went to 1 Timothy. Oh, one of the things that's really good. And maybe you've been there. But you know when you went down the wrong road and you went far enough, you know that there's not another way for it to circle back in and start over again? You just got to go back. You just say, this was a really bad idea. I was not very smart. That's where humility is starting to kick in, right? And there's a man, there's a story about a man in the Gospels that literally tells us, gives us a picture that he returned to his father even when it didn't seem right. He had done everything wrong, but he wised up. Let's go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, 
And so far, some of you may know where we're going, but it's the name of a, of a parable that is known by everyone called the prodigal son. But he came to God for mercy and grace. And that's how we need to come. We need to literally fall at his feet. Luke chapter 15, and let's start now in verse 11. It says, a certain man had two... Now, Jesus is he's speaking to... Well, I should, I should set it up. Our context, verse 15... I'm sorry, chapter 15, verse 1 says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners, for to hear him and the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. You can see it. It just goes on and on. Verse 11. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Now, where, where are we at on this page? Who's, where's, the hum, where's the humility? It's not in that verse. It's not there. Okay? Gimme! Gimme, 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 gimme. You sick of it? Yes, gimme. Right? What does that sound like? An American. It's mine. I'm entitled to it. It's mine. Gimme more. I want more. And the father said, okay. He gave him something. In fact, he gave him his inheritance. Divided upon his living. In verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all of his stuff, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Boy, that verse handled quickly, wasn't it? Seems like it was a just boom, over. All that stuff gone. Where did it go? Right? You can know those moments, right? When he had spent all, I'm sorry, verse 15, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. This is looking like a great opportunity. And he would fain have filled his belly with a husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And the swine's looking at the hog feed is saying, that's not bad. That salad bar is not that bad. What do you think is happening right now? Humility is beginning to set in. <laughs> right? You can see it. It's right around the corner. In fact, I think it's right there. When he came to himself, oh, I like, I've got that underlined in my Bible, verse 17, it says, and when he came to himself, aha moments. Have you ever had those? Aha, I have messed up royally. It doesn't say that, but you know what I'm talking about. I've had those moments, and I'm saying, what am I going to do now? Deny and defend. <laughs> no, look at this. He came to himself, and he said, now he's just talking to himself right now, but he says, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Now that is humility, is it not? He's going to go back to his father? And guess who's at home with his father? Brother, brother, right? How's that going to go? You know what? He doesn't even talk about it. He's concerned about his relationship with his father. It doesn't matter about the other brother. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's my father. And I'm just going to, just, I just will tell him I want to be one of the servants. Your servants are treated better than I could possibly hope to be from this day forward. I will just remain one of your servants. I humbly bow before your feet. Whew. That took a little bit of doing from when he left. Now, what should the father do with this little bugger? It's not how it worked, though, did it? In fact, let's keep going. You already know the story, but I like it because it's so beautiful, a picture of how we need to arrive at our Father. I will arise and go to my Father and say unto him, I'm sorry, I already did that. Verse 20. He arose, came to his Father, and when he was yet a great way off, his Father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You know, that's a lot the way God is when we mourn over our sin. He loves to have us back. Loves to have First John chapter 1, verse 9 talks about it. He's faithful to forgive us our sins when we confess them. But an unconfessed sin is an unforgiven sin. Because how could he forgive you if he didn't confess it? Well, I never sinned that big. Right? Humility just skipped away. Look at this. I love that compassion. He fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, I'm Father, I have sinned against heaven and in their sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Father didn't listen to that. Mercy and grace is everywhere. The father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring forth the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and now he's alive. Ah! Isn't that great? That's exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said, happy or blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now the mourners 
are not happy because they mourn. They're happy because they're comforted. You see the difference? Don't mourn just to mourn. You're mourning over sin that brings comfort. Just ex- How would you, What do you think the next morning was in that household? Well, it was a little trouble because the other son was out working in the field, and he felt kind of not so happy. But we don't have an ending story on him. But you can see what? I think that other man that stayed there, that son that stayed there, he had a case of hard heart, and he thought he's pretty special. And here comes the son home. And dad extended compassion to this loser. Think of that first son, or the son that came home, though, the next morning. Man, it is great to be home. It is great to be home. What if he hadn't come home, folks? What if he hadn't been mourning over his sin? He would have never known. He would have never known how compassionate his father was. And that's the message Jesus is saying. When you mourn over your sin, you will be comforted. In fact, the word that's for comfort is the very same one Jesus uses in a little different context that we find in John chapter 16. Let's go there. John chapter 16, and let's look at this. John 16. Now, Jesus is saying some stuff to his disciples because he's about ready to, he's about ready to rip out. He's about ready to have done what he needed to get done. They've been together for three years, and now he's going to start laying some things out. I don't think they got it till later. But here we go. John chapter 16, and I'm jumping in the middle. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. In other words, pay attention. It's expedient or best for you that I go away. Now, wait, that's where it stopped. I bet they didn't even hear the rest of it. Why would that be good for you to go away? But he kept going. For if I go not away, the comforter. That's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4. For those that mourn, they shall be comforted. Now do you see the significance? If you trust Christ as Savior and mourning over your sin brings you to repentance, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, and leading you to salvation, and when you get saved, when you trust Christ as Savior, guess what happens? The Comforter indwells you, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He indwells you, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter that Jesus is talking about, because He left, the Holy Spirit comes, and that's what we spent many weeks in chapter 8 of Romans about what life in the Spirit is all about. Does this not fit together or what? And you know the other thing that the Holy Spirit's that one that's inside of you when you've trusted Christ and when you really did do something that wasn't right? He's, I don't know where it is, but it's right about there on me, inside. I'm pointing to my head. It's inside. Tap, 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 tap. Larry, what are you doing? Do you have that one in? Does that? I'm the only one? No, I see the... No, it's smile. There's smiles out there. But he's the one that literally is using the Word of God to help you see your sin. And when you're mourning over it, then you go to the Father and you say, I confess my sin. I'm so sorry. Help me to be better. And you know what happens? Just like the Father and the prodigal son, he receives you with compassion and love and open arm forgiveness. And guess what? You're comforted. And that comforter lives within you. And this is the happiest thing I could actually tell you. For some reason, I just think we're done right here. This is where we need to be. Except you were supposed to remind me of something. Remember? Comfort in the future. Okay, yeah, there's two, th- two, two, short, two, two short things. See, that's, there's, there's literally, this is comfort that we can have right now. Right now, help me with the date. May 24th, 2020. That works right now today. You don't have to wait 30 days. There's no money back guarantee because you'll never need it. It absolutely works. Presto. But he's also the God of comfort in the future. I'd like us to go to Revelation chapter 21 for a moment. Revelation, let's go there for a moment. I'm going to show you something that's so grand, so magnanimous. There's a day, and it's coming. Oh, it's coming, and I can't wait. I cannot wait. We'll start in verse 1 of chapter 21, but pay particular attention to verses 4. Here we go. Revelation 21 and verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Watch verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for former things are all passed away. And I say, Amen. But God can deal with the sorrow today to bring comfort. And there, you know, the greatest comfort we'll have is it's all gone. And we just have our Savior. We have our God right there, 24-7. We're right with Him. And this is the closest we can get because He's literally 24-7 with us right now. Within speaking distance. With He actually lives within us. But that's going to be awesome in the future. No more sorrow. No more tears. No more anguish. Just comfort. Isn't that awesome? Now, this thought, as I was, I was driving over from the house to here, there was something that just kept pumping in my mind, and I finally had to look it up because I couldn't remember. Joy comes in the morning. That just, boom, boom. I just couldn't get out of my head. You ever heard those jingles that just won't go away? I could not get rid of that one. So like the last 10 minutes, I'm sitting there studying. Joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. So I look at my phone. Where's it at? Well, let's go to Psalm chapter 30. Uh, Psalm chapter 30, and let's read it. And I'll tell you what hit me. Uh, Psalm chapter 30, and it's written by David, none other than David. And let's start at verse 1, and we'll watch the first five verses. Uh, Psalm chapter 30, verse 1. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up, and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his. Give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment. In the favor of his life, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. That's like a.m., but the word that I got out of it was morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N. Joy comes in the morning over your sin. That's what just, boom, hit me like a truck. That's where your joy comes from when you're just honest with God. You lay it out there. He's for you. Remember, we studied in Romans chapter 8, and our last lesson was, actually the last two were, in Jesus Christ, you are invincible. And Jesus was describing his inaugural sermon, quite honestly, in the things and ways that people would never think of, that you could actually be happy, are ways that you can really, really, really be happy. Blessed are the morning, for theirs, for they are comforted. I'm sorry, for they are comforted. We've learned two things. I only have seven left. Not today. Not today. Easy, easy. I saw, I saw some real challenges there. We got seven left, but not today. Jesus is an inaugural sermon. Last week we talked about attitude towards ourselves. That's humility. If you didn't read Philippians chapter 2 last week, read it this week. And if you did read it last week, read it this week. And then secondly is the attitude towards sin. We've got one more. We'll finish that out. Next, next week we're going to look at blessed are the meek. How many of you ever woke up and said, I want to be meek? No hands have shot up. But we're going to talk about because you know what? It's also going to give us an attitude toward sin. Here was the opening. Are you not loving this stuff? This is crazy. I was totally overwhelmed this morning when I was thinking, how am I going to take this verse? Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I'm like, God, help me. And he has. The Holy Spirit has helped us with this because this is truly, truly what God wants us to live and be like. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that Jesus Christ came and lived and dwelt amongst us. God with us, as it said, Emmanuel, that's the meaning of the word. And to think of this, our precious Savior, our Jesus Christ, he wept over Jerusalem. I didn't even talk about that. Luke chapter 19, verse 31, I believe. And then also in John chapter 11, verse 35, it says, as he went to see his dear friend Lazarus, who had passed away, but to show glory of you, Father God, Jesus looked over those people that had literally given up because of death, because of sin and all of that. And it says, quite honestly, the shortest verse in the Bible with the most power the most powerful man that's ever walked the world in the world with meekness and power. He wept. Jesus wept. Our Savior, our God, how mighty, how magnanimous, how sovereign, omnipotent, 
incredible in every way. And Father, again, my heart has been softened when I read the story of the prodigal son, which is a picture of myself even coming back as a sinner to you, Father. And with open arms and compassion, you've wrapped your arms around me every time and said, come on in, son. Blessed are the mourners, for they shall be comforted. Thank you, Father, for all that you do for us. Help these dear precious ones, Father, that have gathered today interested in wanting to worship and dedicate this time to you. We would ask that you would give them everything they need for this coming week. There will be some that will travel many, many miles from here. They will meet people that specifically will be in their way, their line, their lane of traffic. Give them words to speak of the love of Christ. May they mourn over sin, their sin. May it lead them back to you. And Father, above all, may you be glorified. And I know as a result, because of what we're studying in Romans chapter 8, that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to your purpose. And your purpose is to allow us to become more and more and more just like Jesus. Now, Father, we offer you ourselves. We're thankful for all that you've given to us. We're undeserving. We're spiritually bankrupt. But to know that a God cared enough to give us everything we needed to be more than conquerors, as it said, we are invincible in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.